We are coming to the conclusion of our series in the book of Ephesians. Um, what we're going to do, today's talk is going to be a little bit longer, I think, because I didn't want to just make it short. I wanted to really elaborate on this topic. In fact, this is a topic that we're going to be talking about. Continu- we're going to continue on this topic um, after Easter. Um, and and we, if we have time, we'll, we're going to have a time of prayer at the end. Um, but we've been looking through the book of Ephesians, and each Sunday we looked at a particular passage in each of the chapters, chapters 1 through 5 so far. We're on the sixth week, so we're going to be looking at a passage in chapter 6. And so far we've been talking about the church. I mean, Ephesians is a letter from Paul to the church. Right? We talked about how, and he was excited at the beginning in chapter 1 about what it means to be church. That God has a plan and a purpose in this world. And he's fulfilling it through the church. Part of that plan is breaking down dividing walls. And God is creating one new man. Both Jew and Gentile are united in Christ Jesus. We talked about that. We talked about unity in the church and what it means to function as one body. But now we come to chapter 6. And we're going to look at the passage... Uh, from verse 10 to 18. And in this passage, Paul gives the church a reality check. Because, you know, so far it's been like, God is doing something awesome. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. All these high and lofty things about the church. Paul's been saying all these great things about who we are. And then we come to chapter 6 and it's like, bam, reality check. He brings us back to earth and he says there's a battle and this is crucial for the church to know about this battle that we all face. And so let's read Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to be reading from verse 10 to 18. And this is what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you, and as we go into this topic, Lord, we ask for your wisdom, your guidance, that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from you this morning. God, we sang this morning that you, you are the God of angel armies, and that the God of angel armies is by our side all the time. If our God is for us, who can be against us? 
But the truth is, there is a battle. There is a battle. We face it daily in our lives, God. The church is facing it. So God, equip us. We don't want to be blind to this issue. We also ask for your protection of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our families' lives, that we would be able to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. Part of knowing the battle is knowing the enemy, Lord. So we ask for wisdom, clarity, and discernment this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a, pa- this is a topic that I am passionate about. <clears throat> Let me tell you a story before we begin. This was just a few years ago. We had a guest speaker come to our church. He was from Israel. He was a Messianic Jewish man of God. Believes in Jesus. Was born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. Jewish man from the tribe of Levi. Somehow he tracked it back to the tribe of Levi. And uh, he came and, and, and he spoke for a weekend here at the church. Um, man, how long ago was that? 2012 or 13, I believe. So he came and it was, it was on, he came for actually the whole week. He spoke on Friday, Saturday, but he was here all week from Monday. And we had a prayer meeting every day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Every day in the morning, we had a prayer meeting in the portable, 7 a.m. every morning. And on Tuesday morning, he came to this prayer meeting. We, we, we had a time of prayer. And he is, this man, his name's Howard, incredibly prophetic man. I mean, he, he hears from the Lord. And it's razor sharp. It's, ama- it's unbelievable. Um, after that prayer meeting that morning, he said the most weird thing. The oddest thing I've ever heard. He's like, basically, he put it this way. Out of nowhere, because I, I, I'm about to say, hey, see you later, Howard. We'll see you later. He goes, like, without, a, without skipping a beat, he's like, a woman in need is going to come to your church. I'm like, what? I, I just said goodbye to you. <laughs> see you later. A woman in need is going to come to your church. Like that. It's like, what? Okay. All right. Within, like, five minutes. A woman came to our church, a young lady. She was all disheveled. Her hair was all messy. Just came to the church looking for help. I'm like, whoa, that was spot on. I mean, he, there's no way he could have known that. And anyway, he, he left. And I was here alone with two other uh, folks from Trinity here. And this young lady was like, I need help. Can you help me? Can you pray for me? I'm like, okay. So we went into the portable. And she was describing her, her life. Um, she went through a lot of hard, hardship, a lot of hardship. And she was saying how she felt like the spirit of death was harassing her. And we're like, wow, okay, this is real. This is getting real. And so myself and two other ladies that here from the church, we were praying over her. And um, we were praying against the spirit of death praying against all these things that happened in her life, leading her uh, to Christ, leading her to, um, you know, offer forgiveness and, and all this. And um, God did a mighty work. We were there for over an hour, and it was, it, was, it was powerful. After that, I went home, and I felt like I ran a marathon. Not that I ever run marathons and know what that's like, but I felt like I was wiped out, <clears throat> completely wiped out. I had to take a nap. It was that brutal. I was like, wow, what is this? And I I slept for a couple hours. 
and I woke up feeling sick. And so that was on a Tuesday. I woke up feeling sick, like I was getting a cold. Wednesday, I felt the same. Thursday, I felt the same. Just like headachy and like my body was like feverish, like chills even. Like it was just weird. And so finally on Thursday, I was like to Allie, I'm like, Allie, I need to go to um, Shoppers Drug Mart or something. We need to get some medication here. Like I'm, I'm feeling terrible. And so we actually ended up going to Walmart, actually. We, we went to Walmart. I remember this because I went, bought some Tylenol cold or whatever it was. And I went to the bathroom. And I just felt like I needed to just go in. The, I didn't have to go to the bathroom. I just felt like I had to just be there for some reason. I went in, went into one of the stalls and just sat there. And I was like, God, what's going on? Why do I feel so horrible? And all of a sudden, this picture flashed in my mind, just the thought. And it was a thought of me in a sword fight, okay? So I was, I was in a sword fight with the enemy. And the enemy swung his sword, and the sword just, just nicked me like that, just like that. And I was like, oh. And then all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me, just inside my heart. He's like, James, this is the ministry I've called you into. You can turn away if you want to. It's up to you. And I was like, no, I will never turn away from something you call me to, Lord. I will do whatever you call me to do. Let me tell you something. My headache, my feverish feeling, all of that, gone. In that instant, in the Walmart s- stall, gone. <laughs> I'm like, what? whoa, headache's gone. Everything. I feel perfect. I, I walk back to the car and I'm like, Allie, I feel fine. And she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, I'll take a med just in case, but I feel fine, okay? I mean, it was just, wow. But it was an eye-opening experience for me that A, spiritual warfare is real. It's real. We have a real enemy. But we have the power to overcome the enemy in Jesus' name. I, it was an incredible. <laughs> I, just, I always look back to that and realize, wow, this is real. Okay. Now, there was a survey done uh, a number of years ago. Uh, it was a Canadian survey by the Gallup um, surveying people. Gallup poll. And they were surveying Canadians on their belief in divine beings. Okay, and these were the following numbers that they, were, they found. It's interesting. 71% of Canadians believe there is a God. That's a pretty high number, you know. I mean, that's, they may not be going to church. In fact, churches are declining in number. But the belief in God is there. And so, you know, there is potential. There, there really is potential for God to move powerfully in this nation. 56% of Canadians believe there are angels. And get this. Only 30% of Canadians believe there is a devil. Now, there was another uh, research group that was done on Christians. The Barna Research Group did a survey on Christians. About 1,800 Christians were surveyed. um, And they were participating in a survey questioning their beliefs about God, the Holy Spirit, angels, Satan, and demons. And the findings were astonishing, actually. They found that 4 out of 10 Christians, 40%, strongly agreed that Satan is not a living being 
but is a symbol of evil. 40% of Christians do not believe in the existence of the devil. An additional 2 out of 10 Christians, 19%, they said they somewhat agree with that perspective. So that's 60%, close to 60% of people in the church, in America, this is in America, they, they believe that Satan or the, the, the idea of Satan is just a, a symbol. And a minority of Christians indicated that they believe Satan is real by disagreeing with that statement, about 26%, and 9% disagreed somewhat. Uh, remaining 8% said they weren't sure. Okay? And so this study shows that there's more people in the American church, and I believe this is similar in Canada as well, who do not believe that the enemy is real. You know? And so they don't understand the spiritual battle we're in because they don't know that there is an enemy in the church. Now the surprising thing about the North American worldview, I mean, this is partially why I believe in the church there is this lack of understanding of spiritual things, is because in North America there's a very naturalistic worldview. You know, reality is based on what we can measure, what we can see. With our eyes, what we could sense, what we could feel, touch, taste. I mean, that's real, right? That's what's reality. And so the study, it's unfortunate, but I mean, it's part of our worldview. You know, people don't understand the problem of evil and the reason why so much evil exists in the world. They just think, oh, it just exists. But there is such unspeakable evils in this world, church. There's so much horrible things that happen. In this world, there are places in this world where child sex trafficking is okay. What? That's horrible. That's evil. There are places in this world where killing people for what they believe is okay and is normal. Stone them. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. That's evil. How about the struggles that we all face on the inside of us? Each, each person, there is a bent towards sin. There's a bent towards evil. We struggle with temptation. Where does that come from? I mean, everything has a beginning and an ending. Everything has a beginning. What God created, everything has a beginning. Well, where did this come from? Where did evil come from? Paul addresses this problem of evil earlier in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2. This is what he says, starting in verse 1. And you, talking about the church, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following, this is key right here, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The course of this world, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, all of this has an origin. There is a starting point to all of this evil. And the Bible talks about it. The Bible actually has the answers to this. So church, that's why we really need to know God's word. So we can understand the things that we face. So we can understand how we can have victory over the battles that we face in our lives. It's all here. It's in his word. And so the first thing we need to do is go to Genesis 1. 
Okay, in Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created all things. He created you and me. He created the beasts of the earth, the, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. He created everything, and he said that it was good. It was good. It really was. He created all the things that inhabit both heaven and earth, and it was good. Now, in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, it talks about the creation narrative again, and he puts it a different way. He says like this in Nehemiah 9, 6, this is what it says. You are the Lord, you alone, who made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the sea and all that is in them. And you preserved all of them, and the hosts of heaven worships you. So Nehemiah adds to the creation narrative by saying that God also, when he created the heavens and the earth and everything to fill it, he created the hosts of heaven. Okay, another word for that is angels. God created angels. And they were good. They were good. But then we come to Genesis chapter 3 and we meet the serpent in Genesis 3. And the serpent embodies disobedience. The Satan embod- or the, the serpent embodies disobedience and turning away from the will of God. Well, what happened? Between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, something happened. What happened? Is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. You bet it is. 2 Peter 2. Verse 4 says this, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned. Angels whom God created to fill the heavens. They were the hosts of heaven. He created them. They worshipped him. But then they sinned. The angels sinned. That happened somewhere between Genesis 1 and 3. Here's another passage in the Bible, Ezekiel 28, verses 11 to 16. Thus says the Lord, God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, some people look at this passage and say, if you look at in the context in Ezekiel 28, it's actually talking about the king of Tyre, an actual person. But then you read that part, verse 13, it's like, wait a minute. King of Tyre wasn't in Eden. So this is talking about someone else too. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and and carbuncle. Never heard of carbuncle. I wonder what carbuncle looks like. Simon and Garfunkel carbuncle. Anyway. (laughs) And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways. From the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. Now again, this passage 
in context, was talking about the king of Tyre, a, a physical, an actual person. But you see, Hebrew prophetic literature often did this. In Hebrew writings, one passage often spoke of two different things, two different people, two different times even. Often Hebrew prophetic literature did that. For instance, when there are passages in the Bible that talk about King David, but at the same time, it's also talking about the Messiah. Okay, so there's this dual meaning, dual double meanings that happen in prophetic literature, and this is one of those. So it's talking about the king of Tyre. He was a wicked king. But at the same time, it was also referring to a fallen angel. Here's another passage that talks about the fallen angel. Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 15. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. This is the ESV translation. In other translations, the word Lucifer is in there. That's where we get that name, Lucifer. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. And so the day star, the son of dawn, became ambitious and dissatisfied with his position. He wanted to become like God. And because of his sin of pride, God cast him out of heaven. And ever since then, he's been on a mission to cause the human race to join him in his rebellion against God. Ever since then. So from scripture, we can see where evil originated from. It happened between Genesis 1 and 3, when one of God's heavenly hosts was cast out of heaven. And so now let's go back to Ephesians 6. We read verses 10 to 18, but I'm going to focus on the first three verses only today, uh, 10, 11, and 12. I'm going to start in verse 12 and then go backwards. Um, And then the rest of this passage, we're going to look at step by step because I believe this is so crucial. It is so important for us to know the battle that we all face, but also the armor that's been given to us to stand firm. Because church, it's getting dark. It's getting dark. But you know what it says in Isaiah? When great darkness fills the earth, the light dawns. And that's the church. So we need to understand this. So we're going to take our time in this passage, or in this series. Um, But here's what it says in verse 10, starting in verse 10. Now finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, Paul, when he is describing this, it seems that he's talking to a church that doesn't quite get where this spiritual battle is taking place and who it is against. Okay? Who this battle is against. 
Because notice in verse 12, it says this, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Paul is reminding the church that our battle is not against who we may think it is. It's not against you and I. It's not against people, necessarily. Okay? It's not against one another. And in the second half of verse 12, Paul says who it's against. It's against rulers, authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This passage has radically transformed the way I view conflict. When I have a conflict with a neighbor, when I have a conflict with just another person, I recognize, you take a step back here and be like, okay, battle's not against flesh and blood. There's a spiritual element to this. We need to fight this in the spirit through prayer. Okay? There's a different way to go about this. It's radically changing the way I view conflict. Now Paul is explaining to the church where all this strife and evil is coming from. Again, it doesn't stem from people. It has a spiritual origin. Namely, spiritual beings. Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. These are those hosts of heaven that sinned. And there is a chief among them, among these spiritual beings or fallen angels. And the Bible has a name for this person, this, this being. Okay? And the name is Satan. Now the Hebrew word Satan means adversary. That's what that word means, adversary. The word adversary means one's opponent in a conflict. That's what that name means. That's his name. What a terrible name to have. (laughs) An opponent in a conflict. So the word Satan means opponent in a conflict. Now the New Testament has a different word for this being. The the word devil. In fact, it's in this passage, Ephesians 6. The word devil comes from the Greek word diabolos, which means accuser. He's the accuser of the brethren. Both are referring, both Satan, the devil, Diabolos, is referring to the same being. And when we read about this being in the scriptures, opposing God is what he's all about and bringing accusations against us. That's what he's all about. That's his mission, to get us to join him in rebelling against God. He was also the originator of sin. John chapter 8, verse 44 says, He was a murderer from the beginning. From the beginning. And does not stand in the truth. But there is no truth in him. Because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. He invented lying. From the beginning. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. It says this, The devil has been sinning from the beginning. And so both of these texts suggest that Satan's been doing this a long time, ever since Genesis 3, ever since then. And his aim ever since then has been to tempt God's people, God's creation, us, to join him in sin and in opposing God's will for our lives. But let's look at what verse 11 says in Ephesians 6, taking one step back. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The battle that we all face is against the schemes and the plans of the devil. 
He wants to try to knock you off course through temptation, through thoughts of fear and thoughts of just hopelessness, anger, malice, strife, all these things to try to knock us off the path from being one with God. But there is armor available. There's armor available. See, the, the enemy's always going to attack us. Okay? There's a battle that rages on daily in our lives. But God has given us armor needed to stand against the schemes of the enemy. And this tells me something very important about the devil. Okay? Satan is not omnipotent. Satan is not all-powerful. He possesses significant power. Don't get me wrong. Okay? But it is nothing compared to the power of God. It's not like there's God on one side, Satan on the other side, opposing powers. God's above Satan. Satan was created by God. He's under God's power and God's control. We have to remember that. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Submit yourselves to God. Not the devil, not the attacks of the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And the adversary, though he may tempt and throw all sorts of trials and tribulations at us, and sometimes extremely trying times, extremely trying circumstances, he is still under the power and authority of God. And God, who has all power and authority, gives us his armor so that we can stand firm against the enemy. And this brings me to my final point, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, the, the first verse. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So important. That is such an important passage. Be strong in who? The Lord and in the strength of his might. His might. On our own, we cannot stand against the strength and power of Satan. We need the strength of God. It's like the song we sang this morning. Lord, I need you. I need you. It's true. We do. This reminds me of a story of King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20. Powerful, powerful story. I mean, I refer back to this um, often. King Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. Many different nations were coming up against him. There was this horde of, of of armies just surrounding King Jehoshaphat, ready to attack, ready to invade. And instead of drawing up a battle plan, he went straight to God. In fact, he called a fast to the nation. And this is what it says in 2 Chronicles uh, Chronicles 20, verse 12. This is a prayer that King Jehoshaphat prayed to God when he was completely surrounded on all sides. Now, some of us, we may be going through trials. We may face situations where it's like, when's it going to stop? This is going wrong. This is going wrong. This is going wrong. What? I didn't see that coming. What's going on? We feel like we're totally surrounded. Here's a prayer for you. Here's a prayer for me when we feel that way. I had one of those weeks this week, church. Oh, man. I think possibly because I was preaching this sermon this this Sunday. I, I believe that. The devil's like, oh, yeah? Okay, 
I'm going to make things really uncomfortable for you. Boom, 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 boom. Attacks in my mind. Then all sorts of crazy thoughts of inadequacy. All sorts, you know, you, know, you know, maybe you know what I'm talking about, right? Worries and fears and all sorts of stuff. More than normal, more than usual. Feeling completely bogged down. This is the prayer for us. King Josephat says this, We are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Powerful. And you know what God does? God completely delivers Judah like it was nothing. No problem. Boom. And he was totally delivered. Although Jehoshaphat was powerless in his own strength, God was with him and his power was God's power to overcome all the power of the enemy. Apart from God's power, we cannot stand against the enemy. But God did give us power. He did give us power. And so church, let's not be discouraged by the battles that we face in our lives, by the struggles that we face in our lives daily. Oftentimes that battle is in the mind, the battlefield of the mind. I could do a whole other sermon. I probably will do another sermon on that one day. About the battle in our minds. Satan attacks us there. But we can stand firm. We can stand in the victory that God has given us through Christ. We have the victory through Christ. And we can walk in victory. Why? Because there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power. There is power. There is power. All sufficient power in Jesus' name over every power, over every scheme of the enemy. Every fiery dart of the enemy gets extinguished in the name of Jesus which is the name above every name in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, when Jesus came onto the scene, he came, what did he do? He cast out demons just like that. He had authority over all the power of the enemy. He cast out demons. His authority was greater than the authority of the enemy. Way greater. And in Luke chapter 10, 19, this is the amazing part. Jesus says this to his disciples. This includes us, church. Luke 10, 19. Behold, I have given you, (laughs) say you and me, you and me. We have been given the authority. I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is authority in the name of Jesus. Sometimes we have to come against that thing again and again and again, declaring the name of Jesus, declaring the name of Jesus, praying the blood of Jesus over our circumstances again and again and again. Sometimes we have to do that. But know this, we have been given all authority over all the power of the enemy. The reality check that Paul is giving the church in Ephesians 6 is the reality that we are in a battle. Christians, 
are in a battle. It's like we have a target on our backs. Especially those who are walking in the victory of Jesus. Wanting to live in the fullness of God. Yeah, the enemy's going to come against us. But we can overcome that power in Jesus' name. So the next time the enemy accuses you, bringing all sorts of accusations in your mind, oh, your past, (laughs) who do you think you are? You ever get that? Who do you think you are? Come against that enemy in the name of Jesus. Resist the enemy in the name of Jesus. The next time the enemy tries to use fear tactics to get you to make decisions, fear-based decisions, stand firm in the Lord and resist him in the name of Jesus. The next time you are faced with the temptation and the enemy accuses you of weakness in the midst of this temptation, rebuke the enemy in Jesus' name. I come against that thought in the name of Jesus. I rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus. I rebuke this temptation in the name of Jesus. When we resist the devil, what happens? He flees. He flees. Because there is power in the name of Jesus. My God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or think. And all authority has been given to Jesus. And that authority has been given to us. That's a powerful, powerful revelation. That's firepower against the enemy. Okay? We've got firepower. Stand firm. Our power is not our own strength, though, church. We've got to remember that. The strength comes from God as we abide in him. The word abide means to continue, to stay with, to remain. Remain in the Lord as we abide in Jesus, as we remain in him. We can come before him for the victory and he will answer. Like King Josephat, I do not know what to do, but my eyes are on you, God. And all of a sudden, we'll see victory in our lives. We do not have to face our struggles alone. We don't have to face them alone. The battle is not our own. It's with God. He gives us armor. He gives us strength. He gives us might to stand firm against the enemy. God is with us. He's on our side. And if our God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? Amen. God is with us. Let's stand firm, church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we do not have to fear. We do not have to shy away. We do not have to cripple under the attacks of the enemy, but we could stand firm. Every time the the enemy attacks our identity of who we are in Christ, we can stand firm in you. Stand firm in the finished work of the cross. We can stand firm in the blood of Jesus that washes away all our sin. The accuser has nothing to accuse. In you, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, the righteousness that comes from you. We stand in that identity. We come against the enemy in Jesus' name. We thank you, God. 
that we have the victory. God, I ask for discerning hearts, discerning eyes, discerning minds in this body that we would be able to discern the work of the enemy in our midst so that we can stand against it, come against it, pray against it, and stand in the victory that you won for us, Jesus. Now, God, I ask that you would protect us from the powers of the enemy, that you would anoint us with your power, that you would arm us with your armor, that you would give us the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit in this time so that we can stand against the accuser, so that we could stand against the adversary. We thank you that you've given us all authority. Help us to walk in that, know what it means, and walk in it. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great week.